on, I kind of asked him the question of like, what are the, what's, what the question? I think the exact words were, what's hindered um, your performance in the last four years you've been here? Which, in hindsight, is a pretty big question to ask the head coach. Sure. The <laughs> sure. Oftentimes when we're starting out in the fitness industry, we're told things like, you've got to find your niche or you've got to niche down. And while that's not necessarily bad advice, I think there's a lot of merit and a lot of benefit to being a generalist early on. In many cases, you don't even know the type of people you like working with or the environments you're best suited to thrive in until you've been exposed to a lot of different arenas. And this definitely applies to today's guest, Terrence T.K. Cannell. Over the past couple of years, his work has spanned from pro baseball to women's professional soccer to men's college basketball, and now a new job with the UFC. Working in all these areas has given him a broad set of experiences and helped him forge his unique approach to training. So in today's episode, we're going to look at some of the global principles necessary to be successful in sports performance and physical preparation. We're going to talk about annual planning and why you should be doing it in some form or fashion. We're going to talk about in-season training and some of the benefits you get from spending more time not only with your everyday athletes, but some of your younger and developing athletes as well. And last but not least, we're going to dive into one of my absolute favorite topics, which is tissue prep. And we're going to talk about not only the benefits, but why this is something that you absolutely need to be incorporating into your programs. Now, if you're a regular to the show, welcome back. As always, love and appreciate you. And if you're new here, welcome. I'm Mike Robertson, and this is the Physical Preparation Podcast. In this show, we take deep dives into the art and science of coaching, cueing, program design, business, and personal development. Basically, anything to help you become a better trainer, coach, or rehab professional. Now, as someone that has worked with pro athletes from every major sport, I think it's helpful to see a wide range of body types, different movement strategies, and even compensation patterns to better understand the human body and how it works. Just like you'd make it a goal in your training program to have a big volume base before jumping into higher intensity work, I think that general work early on in your career can allow for a higher peak when you do decide to go all in on a given sport or career path. The bottom line is this, Terrence has had success in numerous sports and across various sporting cultures which is not easy. So I really think you're going to love this episode. Now, before we dive in, I want to give you a quick recap of the week that was, let you know what is new in my neck of the woods, because man, there's a lot going on here right now. Athletes are absolutely crushing it at the gym, as you'd expect. My NBA, G League, two-way level guys, everybody's out there. We've got mini camps, we've got individual workouts going on. So we got guys in and out little bit more chaotic than usual. Definitely not a bad thing. You want people to be interested in uh, in your athletes, but a lot going on. And Summer League is right around the corner. So if you're a basketball fan like me, you got basically like a two or three week break in between when the NBA finals finish up and when Summer League starts. So definitely excited, especially because I'm going to have three, four, maybe five different guys that I've worked with this summer that are playing in Summer League and that are out there competing for a job next year. So very excited to be watching them. This past weekend, Kendall had her end of year soccer tournament. As you may or may not know, I am her coach. So it has been an awesome year, like just a really awesome year because 
number one, we have amazing girls on this team. But in the fall, we definitely exceeded expectations. I don't think people expected a lot out of us because I was new to this age group. We do not have one of these teams that's been well-formed and it's played together for four or five years. We had a whole mishmash of new girls that all came together this year. And in the fall, we won the championship. So, you know, coming out in the spring, we had a big target on our back and faltered a little bit early. We didn't have a ton of practice time, ton of time to ramp up, but we got better as the season went on. Felt like really hit our stride in the tournament, won two big games, got ourselves into the championship, just couldn't get it done in that championship game. We went up against a really solid team, but man, just so proud of this group of girls Very excited to watch them continue to grow and develop over the years. I don't know if I'm going to get to coach many of them in the future. So that is sad, but also exciting in a sense because I feel like I at least played some small part in their love of the sport and hopefully they're going to continue to play and either age up or if nothing else, potentially move up and move into a travel program and get more and more serious about the game. So Just a great group of girls. Wish we could have gotten a W at the end, but all in all, I felt like we got absolutely everything out of this team. Super impressed with their development and their growth, and I'm really, really going to miss them. So, soccer tournament's done. This weekend is like our last weekend of spring sports. So, Cade's got his baseball tournament. He's absolutely been crushing it in baseball. It's fun to watch him. Guy can hit, man. Guy can hit. Told him the other day, we got to work on defense a little bit, but man... The hitting, the throwing, the speed are all there, and he's loving baseball, so that's been great to watch. Kendall has her last track meet this week, and then, man, I got like a day or two next week, and then next Tuesday, uh, head off to Slovenia. So excited, a little bit nervous, haven't done any na- any international travel since, geez, 2017, 2018, whenever I went to Poland, so it's been a minute, but excited to go. I mean, the people in Slovenia are fantastic. Love Matej. His entire team there at Vigor just feels like family. So little nervous, little excited, a little leery of being gone for a week, just being away from the family, being away from my athletes because there's such a good rhythm right now. But man, looking forward to it. And I know it's going to be an amazing event. So that's really all I have for this week. We're going to take a quick break and then we're going to jump into this awesome new episode with my guy TK. It seems like every day I talk to a young trainer or coach who is frustrated. Maybe they're frustrated with the results they're getting. Maybe they're frustrated because they don't have trusted resources to learn from. And maybe they're frustrated because they simply don't have enough clients and wonder how long they'll be able to stay in the industry. So if that sounds anything like you, I've got something that I know will help. My Complete Coach Certification was created for trainers and coaches just like you, who are serious about the results they get and who know that becoming a better coach can directly translate to a bigger bottom line. This certification is gonna take the last 20 years of my life's work and put it all into one massive course. In it, you'll learn how to use the R7 system to create seamless, integrated, and efficient programs for clients and athletes of all shapes and sizes. How to create the culture, environment, and relationships with everyone you train so you can get the absolute best results. And the exact progressions regressions and coaching cues I use in the gym, from squatting and deadlifting to pressing and pulling and everything in between. Of course, there's a ton more that I cover, but that should give you a pretty good idea of what the cert is all about. Now here's the thing, spots for the certification will only open twice per year for a limited time only. To get on the insiders list, 
just head over to completecoachcertification.com. Again, completecoachcertification.com, and then stay tuned for emails in the coming weeks. Thanks so much for your support, and I hope you'll pick up a copy of the Complete Coach Certification when it launches. Terrence, man, thanks so much for coming on the show here today. Actually, second time, if you're listening in, we had a little bit of an audio hiccup, but my guy sounds amazing now. So anyway, TK, thanks so much for coming on the show, man. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, so I got to say, like, so really appreciate you having me on. Like, it's a bit surreal for me in terms of uh, my, my career. I always listen to your podcast a ton of all different guests you have, so it's, it's, it's awesome. So thanks again. You're welcome. Um, kind of been – I've had more sports than, like, tie-dye T-shirts I always kind of joke about because <laughs> I just had, like – Working some bit of MMA and boxing, uh, some basketball, soccer, uh, rugby. Been lucky enough to go to a few different countries as well. A bit of an SNC nomad at times, for yeah. better or worse, depending on who you ask. Yeah. Um, I spent some time in, yeah, like I said, uh, rugby, soccer, a bit of tennis, basketball. Um, did my undergrad at Arkansas State. Did my postgraduate work at um, St. Mary's University over in, over in London. Yeah. Between there, I went, went to Japan to work in professional rugby there. After that, and after the UK, went over to work for the Astros for two years, or two, two and a half years. I was time on the rehab side, went to minor league baseball, so I had lots of long bus rides. <laughs> and, uh, then from there, I was working in professional soccer on the women's side in NWSL. I'm like, I loved that. It was an awesome like, experience. Chance yeah. to be kind of be a lead as well. So I was like, I was like director there. Yeah. There, went to uh, UMass, finished, finished this past season up at UMass uh, for men's basketball. It's just kind of like our head there. And mm-hmm. then now in like the SSC limbo stage of like trying to find a new role. But recently, just got almost really just came, just come out of that stage because now I'm uh, just signed everything over to work for the UFC at the, at the SSC coordinator. So be based in Vegas at the UFC PI. So kind of ba- bounced around a ton. Yeah. And so, so which has been good in some ways. Like, I mean, I, sometimes I complain about it because it's just like constantly moving. But like, right. the good part is that you, I've been a multitude of environments, some heavily resourced, some not so much. So it's kind yeah. of see spectrum of all being creative as well with like programming and opportunities and things. Well, and it's like uh, when you tell young kids to play a whole bunch of sports, right? Yeah. When you're a coach, like, hey, go like work with anybody. Get a lot of different experiences because ultimately when you do, if you do decide to specialize, you're going to have all these general experiences that you can draw from and learn yeah. from. So when yeah. you specialize, you're good to go, man. That's yeah, awesome. 100%. Like, I always say that like when I first decided to be SSC coach, I want to say I was like 19 or 20. It was 19. So I got, and I realized, oh, I could get a like, ACSM or NASM, like personal training certification, like in a weekend. Yeah. So I studied, studied for a couple of weeks and like got that. And then based off, um, I remember a stranger at the first school I was at Mississippi College and also a professor were like, you can go personal train like a local gym or whole boot camps. So, like you're going to get, just get tons of reps coaching. Yes. I was like, oh yeah, it made sense. He's like, yeah, he's, he's, everybody said to me, look at coaching the same way you look at basketball, same way you look at lifting. It's like, you don't just start off playing in the NBA. It's like, right. it takes, Tons and tons of time and tons of reps. And so I was just coaching, you know, people's dads, yeah. grandmothers, like I went whatever, whoever you were, I was gonna coach you. And I think I, I think at the gym I was at, I was it was like a commercial gym down in Mississippi. I wanna say I was taking home like eighteen dollars an hour per client. <laughs> and right. I, was, I was like, let's love it. I just love the fact that I was wearing a t shirt and shorts to work every day. It was great. Yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. So talk to me. You said at like eighteen, nineteen you decided you wanted to be in this space, but like 
Talk to me about how you got started. Like, what was your background? How did you get started working out and just into the whole physical preparation side of things? Mm, so um, I grew up in a military family. Mom served for 24 years. And so then because of that, I think, and she, she didn't hurt being super active. She like ran 10Ks. She ran 800 in college. And so I think because of like always seeing like that side, like she was always like a runner. She would lift, do like boot camp classes or whatever. At one point, she was a drill sergeant too. Oh, my. For a couple of years. So like. <laughs> I literally had, literally had a drill sergeant parent. Yeah. <laughs> um, sometimes, sometimes to a point where even some like our punishment sometimes would be like, oh, wall sits, <laughs> wall sits, wall sits with your hands out in front of you. Right. Yeah, crawls up a hill. Like, so she's like, I'm just too bit, like, I'm too tired to like ground you. So, this is just And so my brother and I just be like in this torture chamber at times. It felt like, but um, that's probably early on, like super early. Then always kind of played sports, like basketball was my main sport growing up. Um, and then I would say like going to Mississippi college, I enjoyed our, I enjoyed our strength coach we had there. He's a great guy. You know, I always had good conversations. I'm sure at times he probably thought I was annoying. So I'd ask him, well, why are we doing this? Why are we doing right. This? And I'm just like, oh, kid, shut up. Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, and then there was, then I had a, a, a professor as well. Originally I thought I wanted to be a sports management uh, major. And so I thought I was going to be like a sports agent. And then I realized wearing a suit every day would be awful. I don't look good in them. I don't like them. So, <laughs> and then uh, switched over to exercise science and like kinesiology. And we had a professor who talked about the history of training. Like he trained himself too. And he used to be like, be like an SNC coach. And so he kind of like lit the fire a bit between those two people of like, oh, like, I want to do this. This seems like way more fun. Right. Like, like, awesome. I enjoyed training myself as well. So I thought. I was like, just do it. Don't go all the way in. Yeah, no, I love it. I love it. So prior to the show, I always like to ask guests, you know, what you're into, topic you're excited about, something you want to discuss. And one of the things that you mentioned was annual planning, which is also something that I happen to be super passionate about. So I was excited to talk about this today. So let's just start base level. For starters, where are you currently at with your annual programming and this idea of laying things out? Uh, for me, the big piece is having starting from starting from the end point of whatever our end goal is, whether it be that first game of the season, whether you're as far as oh, conference championship game, NCAA championship game, whatever, or if it's like in man Boston, okay, we know we have a fight day here. Let's work backwards from there. Mm-hmm. Kind of structuring our week to week, month to month, you know, quarter to quarter of like, okay, what are our base things we know we kind of want to hit in this area based on how far we are away from wherever the event is. Yep. And then having some general principles that guide that from a big picture perspective, like zoom out like a 5,000 foot view and then let's zoom in to, okay, in this month, these are kind of our progressions, regressions from a physical side, a technical side, a tactical side. These are things you want to hit. Okay. Into maybe situations down the line, we want to try and go into these, then go into these. But also just having kind of a general plan, then we can be like, okay, we can now adjust as well if we need to. So if someone gets sick, with COVID, we have to miss stuff. There's travel. Something comes up because something always happens, right? So, like, right. it's easy to have a plan B when you have a plan A to start with. Something I always think about. So, I think for me, that's kind of where it always kind of stems from. So, I think sometimes it can seem overwhelming with, like, annual plans. People think you have to be super prescriptive and write your entire program from a physical, technical, tactical side for, like, the next 12 months. It's like, no, it's like, but don't do that because it won't work. <laughs> like, something's going to happen. Multiple things are going to happen. You're going to have to change something at some point. So let's have some general principles and ideas and adaptations you want to start with and then fill in the blank as needed as it gets to the actual time. Yeah, see, I love that because 
you know, it's weird the way you see these swings in our industry, right? So, like, when I was coming up, oh, bro, if you didn't have, like, a full annual plan written out, like, the next 12 months down to the sets and reps and all that, you weren't really trying hard. And now yeah. you've got the opposite side where, like, the haters are like, oh, man, you can't plan and account for everything. And so they're mm. they're kind of throwing this whole idea of annual planning under the bus. But I love the way you stated that because the goal isn't to have the sets and reps and all the details yeah. – locked in when you're six months out right but to have a general idea as to where you'd like to be at a perfect place in time like i think that's really helpful mm, 100%. it's like a useful roadmap yeah so it doesn't necessarily be it doesn't need to be like every single step like i remember remember the old like map quest mm-hmm. so, like, so i have like a map print on map quest and i tell you right at this it's like i know how to get out of my neighborhood like <laughs> <laughs> like i don't need that that much detail right so it's like Yes, I have to have a general for you. Oh, okay, you have to get on this road, get on this interstate. We're going this direction. Yes, <laughs> yes. yeah. And and again, it you said it very eloquently. It's like it's way easier to have a plan B if you got a plan A to start yeah. from. And I think too often now people just kind of get into the mix of things, and there is no plan A. So therefore, when it's time to like take a hard right or yeah. something changes, they're like, uh, you know, they have no clue what to yeah. do, and it's it's hard to be malleable or adaptable when you don't have something to build from right yeah 100%. like the, the ability to come up with things off the cuff is a great skill like you can never like diminish that as a coach so it can be like but sometimes like let's have like a plan and then let's deviate from it as needed but if we don't have to deviate from it let's stick to it let's have a plan already <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> way, easier, way easier to do that because then also you can i think it helps as well if we go back and like guest check and evaluate as well because you don't have a plan there's something to evaluate from in four weeks or end of the week or whatever down the line because oh what we do i don't remember what we did (laughs) exactly exactly came over over that day well why okay well we did that on monday what did you do the saturday before that i don't know i just came up with it (laughs) right (laughs) absolutely so you know one topic that i feel like has garnered a lot of attention in recent years is this idea of in-season training and like you've alluded to you've been in rugby you've been in baseball you've been in soccer you've been in basketball so Pulling from all those different sports that have different competition calendars and different rhythms to their training week, you know, what's your current line of thinking with regards to training your in-season athletes? I would say a big one. I like this approach. I think I, I could this approach would have been very, much more viable in soccer. I mean, it would have been viable in soccer if I had thought process then. Mm-hmm. Um, was that in basketball, which is approach of like an optimization framework and like a development framework so basically and like the guys in the middle so like the high minute players it's like you know you're playing 20 plus minutes a game we we need you to be as healthy and fresh for every single yes. game because that's the determinant of winning for us the inconsistent minute guys the guys are like 10 to 18 minutes like some day they play nine minutes another day they play zero minutes next game they started yeah so those guys okay we, you can probably sprinkle in a bit of extra work to keep to keep you ready if needed but also it's a, it's a plan for okay you maybe not you maybe you didn't play yesterday. Maybe you're playing on Saturday. Didn't play on Tuesday. Well, let's 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 put something there in the middle just in case. Yeah. Whether it's, whether it be an extra lift, an extra individual work. So like that was kind of how he was framing. So like guys who were inconsistent minute, we're kind of usually doing three lifts a week for the most part, mm-hmm. um, and maybe like one or sometimes two, but usually just one like individual skill session. And the low minute guys, I think there was an old like all blacks coach used to say that the guys who just eat the food. Uh, <laughs> That's like, hey man, it's like, not to be mean, but you weren't like, you didn't play two weeks ago, you didn't play a month ago. Like, 
let's use this time as a time to development. So those guys be on more development approach. So, hey, two, if we can get three to four, or at least three, like indiv- like the individual like player development sessions on a court. Yep, that's perfect. If we can get four lifts in a week, that's great. Because yep. you're probably not gonna play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like if you, if you didn't play last month, <laughs> like, like you're not magically like, gonna find minutes, right? Unless yeah, somebody yeah, gets exactly. injured. Yeah. So let's let's have a team falls off, and then you're the last one we got. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, uh, I think there was this book from this guy who used to play at Wake Forest. He called it like a 30-30 guy. 30-30-30 guy was like up by 30, down by 30, 30 seconds left in the game. <laughs> hey, like, yeah. you fall in their category. There's nothing wrong with that, but now it's like, let's not use these next six months of a season to like kind of just maintain. Yeah, but it's like, what do you maintain? It's like, let's actually, this is an extended offseason for you. Yes. Like, you can be a whole different player. By the time like the spring, you can be a whole different player. Yes. Or like a whole different athlete, you know, that because you can get six months of lots of lots of extra basketball work on the court and then lots of lots of focused training because you're not not losing two days to a game. Dude, I love that. And and it's so good that you say that because I think a lot of times as an athlete, right? You're mm-hmm. conditioned you want to play. You want to yeah. compete, right? You want to be out there. So I think that's a great line of thinking as a coach and a way to sell it to keep these guys engaged and switched on. It's like, hey look, man, look for whatever reason, you're not getting minutes right now. Maybe you're young. Maybe you're inexperienced, whatever. But, hey, man, let's use this time. Like, let's lock in on your on-court development. Let's lock in on your physical development. Think about where you can be come the spring or next summer when we are competing for spots. Yeah. You know, like, that's how you sell it to keep these guys switched on and engaged. And the guys that buy in, it's cool to see those transformations, right? You can do a lot yeah. in six months to a year. Yeah, we had guys... And one guy in particular is powerful who like early in the season he he was playing and then just kind of like fell apart a little bit for him and so he was kind of like on this went from a high minute player for the first the first month and a half to like pretty much non-playing and um we just, and i had the same talk i had with like some of the other guys that were in that group as well and like we called it like the get better gang yeah so like he was so he, like he he PR on a split squat. I was on a, on a five arm split squat each leg, and like in like in season. But I was like, yo, he's just he's just lifting. He's lifting and doing extra work on the court, like getting more shots up, working with assistant coaches, getting the managers to rebound for him and stuff like that. And just getting extra work on the court. But also, he's also lifting way, way more. Right. I, remember, I remember we were playing. I want to say we were playing VCU, and like we had a we had a heavy lift that day, like a lot of intensive jumps. A lot of he- like heavy lower body work um, and some and some high repetition of upper body work, and then he got in the game for the last, <laughs> for the last like fourteen minutes. I was like, Ugh, I made a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> but, but he didn't. He didn't. He didn't fall apart. He was fine. He, I played well in those fourteen minutes. I played the whole last fourteen minutes of the game against. I want to say it was VCU. So, he, so basically, got, so he got in the game. They called him to come in the game. And he's he's sitting like he's so far in the bench. He's almost like two seats away from me. <laughs> they called me. I was like. I lean on to our athletic trainer who sat next to me. I'm just like, we gotta keep my eye out here. This is I may have made a mistake. He goes, what happened? I was like, I was like, he had to lift an individual today. He's like, he's like, he's like, oh, he's like, oh yeah, he did. And I was like, I was like, I was like, I was like, fingers crossed. Yeah, but he survived. He survived. Survived. Went through it. Played well. And it was like 14 minutes. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. So. Kind of this is this will make for a smooth transition here because I realize this is a big question, but I'd love to hear about how you're integrating 
your tactical periodization with your in-season training? Like, how are you merging all that to make this really, like, cohesive, tightly packaged framework? I would say, I mean, the biggest piece is the relationship um, I had coach and I had from a, like, from a working relationship. Like, early on, I kind of asked him the question of, like, what are the what's, what, the questions? I think the exact words were, what's hindered um, your performance in the last four years you've been here? Which, in hindsight, that's a pretty big question to ask the head coach. Sure. Especially the time. <laughs> sure. It's been like, been like, hey, what are, why have you struggled here? It's like, right. it's like who's this guy? But, um, <laughs> But so I asked him that kind of question. And he kind of came with an approach of like, oh, like a big piece has been like guys getting injured. And, they're, and like he's telling me the nature of the injuries along with the AT. And it was all pretty much the same, like a calf strain, Achilles tendinopathy, patella tendinopathy, like things that are pretty controllable for the most yeah. part. Not yeah. controllable, obviously, but like things you can kind of account for and kind of help prevent. Right. Um, and I was like, okay, well, here's this, here's this, well, here's this idea of comfort that I would know from done in soccer and done in rugby where we can kind of marry up some of our practices like not just a traditional like broken integration model of like it's a high day it's a high it's low it's low but how we can even from like a drill and space size and like density density of the drill and intensities of the drill like, oh just because like hey just because it's half court this half court live is not a low day no <laughs> no <laughs> like no but i think typically a lot of times basketball coaches i think even probably a lot of snc coaches but assume that like half court is easy because now it's not covering as much ground. It's like you're hitting more people. There's less space. There's tons of more change of direction. Like it's, it's actually super stressful on the body. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. And so coming with that frame, of, oh, this is his time roughly kind of spaces we can work in. Here's how we can do some of our drills as well. We can make them longer or shorter and shorten the rest, make it longer rest um, to determine what kind we want for the day. But also, our guys who are playing, you know, 20, 30 plus minutes a game, who we need to be as fresh as possible every game, maybe they don't need every rep in practice. Yeah. And that was when I, he, he, then like, he kind of sat there and was like, he's like, he's like, yeah, actually, I, I, I can see, I can like kind of see your point. I was like, yeah, because if our starting point guard grabs just 20 a game, if he's playing 38 minutes a game, yeah. he probably doesn't need a rep in practice. He gets enough basketball. Yeah. And so it was then we kind of structured our teams because, you know, typically in basketball practice, you have like your starters and like everybody else. And like your starters get tons of reps, and everybody else gets to like rotate in because there's yeah. like eight of them, right? So we kind of we basically flipped it. So like guys who are, are inconsistent or low, low playing guys, maybe six of them, but there's eight or nine of like the starter playing group. And even some of those guys aren't aren't really guys who play a lot of minutes, but it's essentially a way to get our three. We had pretty much three main players for sure that needed that needed to be as fresh as possible every new game that help us win. So basically, it was so that those guys would get subbed in and out. So maybe they may do two reps of like a drill or something like that, and then get subbed out. Yeah, and like it's just that way also as well because like they're in everything. Because I, I never want to be that guy who like take oh he only does forty minutes of practice, but it's like yeah, but we need him to do the whole two hours or whatever. Right. It's like it's like oh no no, but he, but he's hit his training load for that day, so that's all he's doing. But in reality, it's like that gets way more pushback than like no, he did everything. He did a little bit less of everything. Right. So yeah. I was kind of coach. It's not you see that. I think when it's done, not married up with the sport coaches, you kind of see that with like on the like in field sports, like in soccer, sometimes even in football, where like, oh, they hit their 4K today, they're supposed to hit. So they're not taking out of practice. It's like, yeah, but we've only done three drills. Right. 
and have all these other things that I need them to do from a tactical perspective or technical perspective. Yeah. Uh, no, they hit, they hit 4K, iPad says it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah they're done. And it's like, if you lose that, if you lose that next game, it is now your fault. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and one thing that I learned being in soccer, because, you know, I got a bird's, not even a bird's eye view, I got like literally a sideline view for an entire year. And a lot of times people think they hear small sided games. And if you're unfamiliar with the term, it sounds like it would be easier, right? Oh, small side. Oh, so it's easier. Hell no. Like watch, <laughs> watch 11 v 11 in soccer. And not to say that it's not hard, but watch a practice and watch how much standing is going on, right? Versus we would have days that were just brutal. It was like 2v2, small field. And the way the coaches would describe it is in full-sided, 10-10, 11-11, you can hide, right? You can drift. You can hide. 2v2, there ain't no hiding, bro, because if you hide, you're getting scored on your teammates yelling at your ass. Yeah, 100%. Right? And, <laughs> and so that just gave me like this very clear representation of, okay, small-sided does not mean easy. And in many cases, small-sided is way more intense, right? Yeah. Depending on the construct of the game and how it's set up. So that's awesome, man. Yeah, we're just stuff like, I don't work on soccer. We have like 2v2 days or 3v3, like a small grid. You're just like, oh, man, this is brutal. So we kind of like, I think I use a bit of like kind of the Raymond Verhain model, which I got from a yeah. good friend in Brown, where it had like his like strength days. So it was like, oh, a small-sided day is like our strength day. Yeah. Like a day, big spaces. A bit less rest, speed day, more rest, more narrow spaces, but still very long. Yep. So, yeah, so yeah, very much just kind of that combo. We have small side is brutal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It really opened my eyes. So, okay. So on the flip side of that, I'm also a big believer, and I believe you are as well, that healthy, resilient athletes are built in the off season, right? It's not yeah. like somebody comes in season and they're banged up and they magically get healthy, right? Yeah. It's like this long battle to try and get somebody back. So. When it comes to your off-season prep, what are some of your big rocks or the KPIs that you like to focus on? Uh, I guess think going back to the sports, so I'd say with like basketball, a big piece is basketball players are so grossly undertrained and like from a weight room perspective. Like, yeah. So I think hitting a lot of like kind of higher volume work and higher volume is kind of like like people don't really like people think I think higher volume gets kind of it's a very bad rap. I yeah. think in the sea currently. Uh, for for whatever reason, but it's more like it's not the vo- maybe not the volume that that's hurting them. It's the lack of preparation to the volume. Yeah, so building, so building that kind of robustness, like from a weight room perspective, doing like higher rep work. Like we did a lot of rest pauses. Uh, stole the Badger protocol from Aladdin Jovanovic. We did a lot of that. Just a lot of time under tension work. Um, and I did a bit of, bit of like tissue remodeling kind of stuff. Principles that I got from uh, Jim Snyder at Wisconsin and Ray Eady at William and Mary. So those are kind of two people who I picked, picked their brains like tissue remodeling. So working at big extended ranges, yep. like long periods of time. Um, and then after that, it was like higher volume work. So function, some like old school, like functional hypertrophy kind of work and yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. Weight, true like weights perspective. And then doing tons of extensive med ball um, and extensive jumping, like from multiple angles, short coupling and long coupling. Um, start off unweighted, they eventually added a bit of low through like med balls or like barbells or dumbbells and things like that and trap bars. And then kind of progressing that from a, from a weight room side. Um, the big piece of me is like doing some aerobic work, like that kind of base, not fun to do, very, very boring aerobic work. So taking guys like to like the rec center 
and doing like hopping in a spin room and just be like, hey, we're gonna we're all gonna work at this RPM range for the next thirty five minutes. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's gonna be boring. <laughs> yeah, and so those kind of like the big pieces that you, that you should hit kind of off season from a basketball perspective because of that like under training gauge. Ideally, off feet for some of that robot stuff because it's been so much time on feet. As 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 Nike said years ago, basketball never stops because it never does. Right, right. <laughs> and so those, those times where we can hit some true like aerobic adaptations um, that don't involve being your joints up is always nice too. Mm-hmm. Kind of like key things flight on like a basketball side, but also even in a time on rugby, I spent a lot of off season, not as much focus on that true higher volume weight room work, but a lot of like a rope baseline aerobic work. So like strength endurance kind of circuits. And like a like aerobic capacity runs of like three, four, five minutes. The guys just be miserable doing it because like this is so boring. Right. Um, it's like it's like you'll thank me later. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. Like I'm a huge believer. I love the spin bike for these guys. I feel like there's so many benefits. There's aerobic benefits, just pushing some blood through the knees. Like generally they just feel better when they come off. Yep. Um Circuit day. I mean, the guys probably roll their eyes because a, a lot of times on Wednesdays it's, it's circuit day. But like you said, we're, dra- <laughs> we're dragging sleds, we're throwing medicine balls, we're doing the ropes. Uh, you know, just things to build that general work capacity. I love that. One thing you mentioned, uh, and, and maybe I misheard, but I'm interested. You talked about like doing stuff at at in range. Is that what you said? Just doing like a lot of like work, say maybe in the bottom of a lounge or a bottom of a squat. Is that what yep. you're alluding to? Yeah, so, um, so some of the principles I've got from like a tissue modeling of like just of, like like fascia. Yeah, it's working some big long extended ranges, and we did we worked with some isometrics like ninety seconds to two minutes. Oh my like gosh! Lunge position stuff like that. Make sure you're actually pushing your foot into the floor and like driving that foot back. Yeah, actually with you know, tissue modeling and you just get guys in those ranges they never hit before. Yes, they never go through and just see some of the struggle and the shakes happen. Yeah. <laughs> so that was kind of like our preparation period. So we'll probably want that for about two weeks. A lot of times we do that before the actual lift. Oh. Basically like a warm-up. Yeah. Like, oh, we're going to hold this extended lunge or extended overhead position, like like prone, stuff like that, for next 90 seconds. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, they're not fans of you at that point. That's no. for sure. <laughs> no. Yeah, those are like uh, the old school, if you're familiar with like the DB hammer, like extreme yeah. ISOs. Is it that yeah, kind yeah. of thing? Yeah. yeah. Those are miserable, dude. <laughs> you're you're a mean person um okay so so let's come back to this idea of high volume extensive stuff because you're absolutely right i think it gets vilified right mm-hmm. everybody wants intensity they want to see the 60 inch box jump but why do you feel yeah. like that stuff's so valuable i mean i couldn't agree more but i'd love to hear your thoughts i think the general preparation period of like getting ready to be exposed to intensity work i think is, is why it's very viable away from like even at the weight room side. So I think I think in the weight room it naturally has to occur because you can fail. Like yeah. as opposed to very clearly like, oh, it's like if you come in and try to squat four hundred pounds and you've never squatted two twenty five, it's like <laughs> good luck. Right. <laughs> um but I think on the when it comes to like the fields, the field, I think jumps and plyos, I think some of it I think people it's vilified because of the nature of sport practice. I think we just so the sport practice tends to be like very very high volume a lot of times. It tends to be where kind of guys break down. So I, but I think you have to, in some regard, you're preparing athletes for the game, but you also need to prepare them a bit for camp as well. If they have, they have some kind of camp where they be like football, where you I've heard from friends who work in college football like some of these massive spikes like day ones. Oh, first first day of camp we hit nine nine thousand yards. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. 
Right. It's like, oh, sounds it's like that's only going to go up from there. <laughs> right. And so I think yeah, there's a level of, of tissue preparation, but for some of those higher, you never fully get to that extent, obviously. But I think from a tissue preparation standpoint, um, and I also think I call it a bit of like earning the right to do some of those high intensity work. And also, yeah. the ability to keep the high intensity works, the big piece. Like a lot doing a lot of work is great, but for they they lack the adaptations. It takes a, a good volume of actual work to do. And that way you can repeat those outputs. Otherwise, it quickly becomes not elastic because you're dying. <laughs> right. Right. So I think earning that earning that right to handle those more elastic efforts, more high intensity efforts by doing a good amount of extensive work, whether it be tempo runs, aerobic capacity runs, general like aerobic fitness work, extensive jumps and plyos at short and long coupling, give you the ability to then repeat those high intensity days. So I would think I always think back to like even some of Charlie Francis' work of Oh, like they're, they're doing like three or four high days in a week at times. It's like, yeah, but they're low days with 3K at tempo. <laughs> right, exactly. And they had built, built the volume and the tolerance up to be like, okay, I can run, I can sprint at 92% on a Monday. And I can do the same thing on a Wednesday. But it's because my ability to tolerate and recover because of my aerobic capacity is so, it's just so viable. Even like in baseball, we see there's a few research studies out there, a couple of organizations that have done it, where they actually had pitchers with heart rate monitors. And you, they'd see within, so per pitch would be like 90 plus percent of like their maximal heart rate in a pitch. But even between innings, and I, the biggest one they determined was help for, help for velocity throughout as the game went on was the ability for the heart rate to recover between innings. There you go. And also the variability of time as well, because some innings are longer, some are shorter in that half inning. Yeah. And so I think that piece of like being able to recover, oh, okay, I threw 90, I threw 98 in the first inning. Now I'm in any, now I'm in any sitch. Can I just, I still throw 98 or am I throwing 85? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Dude, that's so interesting. And now that you mention it, I had this flashback of Charlie Francis had this old like GPP video mm-hmm. and it's just like him taking people through GPP circuits. And like, if you remember and you look at like the work that he did, like his low days would probably smash most like modern athletes, right? Because I mean, they were doing tempo runs, they were doing medicine ball work, they were doing thousands of reps of ab work. Like they were in yeah. such phenomenal shape. That's what allowed them to do that. Yeah, hundred percent. Like look at like uh, like Boo Schettsnader always talks, talks about it too. Some like his work. Um, Alvin Millie's talk about with the guys who's at, at the 49ers, guys doing like five hundred med ball throws. Yeah, like, we built, built up to to two eighty, three hundred, and guys were like. We got lift after this. I was like, "Yeah, we got upper body." <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're like, they're like, oh my god, I'm dying." <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. Okay, so one more question, and then we'll start to kind of wrap this up. But plyos and jump work is uh, is or are something that lots of people talk about, but I'm mm-hmm. also not always convinced. There's a ton of thought put into why they're doing it or yeah. how to do it for maximal effectiveness. And I know this is something you've been thinking a lot about lately, so I'd love to hear your thoughts. What can we do to better program our jump and plyo training? Uh, I think the big part of some of it's like taking away the box jumps to that impact and landing, I think is so valuable. Mm-hmm. RFD perspective, uh, understanding loading like tissue tolerance as well. And uh, working on stretch shortening cycle, which you're not gonna get from like a, a traditional like box jump, of course. And I think adding another piece, adding the coupling the horizontal and vertical component is just something I kind of learned from reading and talking to uh, Matt Miskinis Watson on like plus plyos on Instagram. Okay. He talked a lot about that of like marrying up your vertical and horizontal components of being like you can do repeat 
repeat squat jumps, but you can travel for it as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a, lot, a lot of times you're like, and add, adding that component is like being really valuable from the stretch shortening cycle um, perspective, but also adding that then uh, from a force force output uh, point of view as well and working in deep ranges. Yeah. So like things that are very short coupling, find things that are long coupling, but even the long coupling being a deeper range as well and learn how to produce force out of that kind of bottom position. Maybe yep. from foot, foot squat position, a just regular squat jump position, but understand you can still produce force before it's not as fast, obviously, from like, from like a pogo or a short angle, right. more hip and knee dominant. Yeah. And understand that you can boost force from there as well. So, okay, see, I love this. And this is something I talk to my, especially my basketball players about all the time, is the worst thing that can happen is for you to get exposed to a force or a position on a court that you haven't seen in the gym. You yeah. know what I mean? And granted, exactly. we can't we can't reproduce everything in the gym, but we can expose yeah. them to a lot of stuff in a pretty safe environment. Yeah. So if they get into some funky position on the court, they've been there at least a little bit, and they're not going to explode when it happens, right? Yeah. I remember some uh, learned from working working for Kier. I was in Japan. Uh, Kier, I follow like rugby strength coach on yeah. Instagram. And the, and the infamous at times, been <laughs> yeah. Asked, um, was that he used to say like the position you never position, the position you never get exposed to is the one that breaks you. Yeah, as we always say. So like we we had some stuff that were like really deep in range single leg squat work that guys were doing with like a two kilo plate yep. in their hand, but it was just like such a deep range that they basically almost struggled to push themselves out of. Yeah, and it's literally an exposure of like like you said. It's like hey, let's see in a super controlled environment of the weight room. Let's yep. not see the field. <laughs> yeah, I love it, man. Okay, my guy, big question time. If you could alter the space-time continuum and give young Terrence Kennel one piece of advice, what would it be? Ooh, one piece of advice. I would say, purely from a life and coaching perspective, don't don't put so much time and like focus onto coaching like trying to build a career that you hurt the relationships like family and friends stuff like that going yeah. forward. Yeah, so I'll say miss, miss, miss. I think I miss at times miss too many events. Yeah, miss, sure. Yeah. Well, I think that's a common theme, right? A lot of us are. Well, I think most of the people, especially the ones that listen to this show, are very married to their career in a good way, right? Like they yeah. care about people, they want to see them succeed, but also being able to take that step back and realize, like, hey, look, outside of this space, there's other people that are important to me, and yeah. they can't they can't always play second fiddle, right? Yeah, hundred percent. Okay, cool, cool. All right. Last but not least, lightning round. So four fairly short questions. Your answer can be as long or short as you like. Cool. Okay. All right. Number one, what's your career highlight so far as a coach? Ooh, career highlight was I had a player in, um, that I had in AA while I was at the Astros who eventually got called up to AAA. Um, got like a, I signed like a new contract or a bonus or whatever. And uh, he sent me a video of his, of his first house he ever bought. Oh, wow. Done. His daughter said, "Oh, the coach, a highlight, highlight of my career, I think, so far." Oh, was dude, that, that was like, yeah, made, made me tear up a little bit. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's amazing, dude. That's amazing. Okay, number two, you have experience in all sorts of different sporting environments. What's maybe one or two things that you learned across the way or in those different environments that's made you a better coach? Uh, be relentlessly open-minded. Mm. Um, I say that's the number one, and number two is learn to speak the language of that sport 
just get you very, get you very, very far. Yes. Like within language that's spoken in soccer is different from language spoken in in rugby versus language spoken in basketball, MMA, tennis, things like that. So I find I find that to be a big a big piece. Yeah, yeah, and and what is essentially the same thing can be said five different ways across five different sports. Oh, one hundred percent, for 100%. sure. I love that. Like, I was thinking, so like in uh, in baseball, they used to say if someone was like really elastic, they used to say twitchy. So I was like, yeah. really, really at first I was like, what, I was like, what does that mean, twitchy? Yeah. And then then like someone was like, then my boss at the time was like, oh, it means that race like a really good athlete and they're like elastic. I was like, yeah. I've never heard that before. But then then I started using it while I was working at baseball because it was something all the coaches understood. Yeah, absolutely. You have to speak their lingo, right? Yeah. I love it. Okay, number three. Speaking of our guy Kier, how do you deal with that guy? On a daily basis, <laughs> I always go with, with Kier. Is that like he's one of come on my best friends? I've known him for six years now, seven years. Yeah, um, he's always, always, always a straight shooter. Yeah, which I really appreciate in a person. Um, I think he's also, also genuinely a very nice person too, and just yes. likes to have both the bear. Do you think it's hilarious? Yeah, <laughs> yes. I, I, I tell him all the time like i love his feed because i think he's hilarious i think he's right like 99 percent of the time and the people that really get pissed off at him are the ones that are generally in his crosshairs in some way shape or form so yeah yeah true so i, was, I look into look into the mirror thing of like oh yeah this <laughs> yeah I, i'm mad because he's calling me out essentially yeah yeah 100%. okay cool last but not least number four what's next for terrence kennel uh, next, to be honest, uh, moving move, move to Vegas. Uh, I think I think I'll enjoy that. Uh, I ideally kind of want to want to be there for a while. I need to stay yeah. one a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, and then yeah, just work, work in the UFC. I think an aside goal, maybe that's not traditional later, is I want want to buy a house in like two years. So, okay. So, there you yeah. go. Life goals, right? Yeah, exactly. Life goals. Good for you, man. Well, TK, it's been awesome catching up with you here today. Glad we got the audio. St- cleared up because you sound amazing uh where can my listeners find out more about you and the awesome work that you're doing uh yeah right, rightly or wrongly i'm on, I'm on social media uh sometimes <laughs> too much so uh tk fizz prep on twitter and then t kennel fizz prep on instagram so okay. those are probably two biggest pieces i love like like talking training and stuff like that so anybody feel free to shoot me a message or dm i try to get back to you because i'm not I'm not super popular on either one so like it's <laughs> Back. <laughs> yeah well and i'll say this too like i love the ig feed I, I love people that are showing like hey this is what i'm doing this is why i do it it's like kind of marrying the video with the caption like that's what i want right so i mean you do a great job of that and explaining the rationale behind why you do things because you're somebody i feel like if i'm gonna watch one of your videos i'm gonna learn something so uh, yeah. quick, just playing on my social media too though it's not it's not always tons of training like a lot of sometimes social media it's just like funny videos i like yeah or like, or like uh memes or animal videos i love animals i have two animals tattooed on me yeah or nothing like, wrong with that yeah. man yeah so like so if you're coming purely for snc information i may not be the best follow <laughs> <laughs> hey man that's me too i got pictures of my my dog sleeping on the couch, my kids doing crazy stuff. So, nah, man, it's all good. I like lo- learning about the person too, right? Yeah. Not just the knowledge. So, again, TK, man, this was awesome. Thank you so much for coming on the show, my friend. Oh, man, thank you again for having me. Really appreciate it. All right, my friends, that does it for this week's episode with Terrence TK Cannell. Love this guy, man. I love the way he thinks. 
reminds me of a younger, smarter version of myself. Uh, but just it's really fun topics to chat about, right? I love talking about tissue prep, in-season training, off-season training, tactical periodization. I mean, these are all things that are near and dear to my heart, and it's been cool to to see him, you know, evolve from these different sports. Because I've followed TK for a while now in his career, and it's fun to see, okay, in the baseball setting, in the soccer setting, in the basketball setting. And if you have these global principles, if you have these universal understandings of how to develop an athlete, I think it makes it way easier to plug and play and to move into a different sport versus if you spend all your time just learning one sport when you're young and then you got to go and learn a whole other sport, it's a lot more challenging. So I think it should be all of our goals to understand some of these global principles that make a sound training program or a sound off-season or in-season training program. And then from there, you can niche down and you can get specific to whatever sport you're most passionate about. So again, really hope you enjoyed it. If you did and you're not already subscribed, what are you waiting for, my friend? It takes literally two seconds out of your day. iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify, Google Play, Amazon Store, wherever you consume podcasts, go there right now. Smash that subscribe button so you know each and every week when a new episode drops. So my friend, as always, thank you so much for your support. Love and appreciate you. And we'll be back next week with a new episode. Take care.